This podcast is sponsored by Snoop, winner of the Best Open Banking Solution Award at the 2021 Banking Technology Awards. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Season 3 of What the Fintech, the podcast from the team behind Fintech Futures and the Banking Technology Magazine. My name is Paul Hindle, editor at Fintech Futures, and joining me for this episode is John Natalizia, co-founder and CEO of Fintech Startup Snoops. John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Paul, and thank you very much for having me. It's great to have you here. And, and given we have John on the show this week, the main topic of discussion will be the intersection of money management and open banking. So we'll be chatting a little bit more about the role of money management apps in light of the cost of living crisis currently going on in the UK, as well as the current state of affairs and trends in regards to open banking. And we'll be going over that later in the show, as well as learning a bit more about John and Snoop and the work that uh, they're doing over there. But first, as always, is our news in numbers segment. So this is where we've gone out and found a couple of news stories with interesting numbers in them and uh, to have a quick talk about to open the proceedings. So it's traditional that our guest goes first. So, John, what have you brought along for us today? So the, the number that actually piqued my interest was £1.50 uh, and it's to do with buy now, pay later. And just what piqued my interest on it was that you were basically able, you are able to buy so two large salmon fillets from a supermarket on buy now, pay later and pay £1.50 up front and spread the rest over, over six weeks. Now, I'll be honest, I think buy now, pay later is a really interesting solution for customers, has a lot of value and I'm actually really happy to see a lot of innovation around it. The concept obviously is not a new one, but some of the way new experiences are built around that I think can be very beneficial to customers as long as they use it responsibly, but also the providers lend and assess the customers responsibly. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I completely agree. I think you've um, kind of hit the nail on the head there. It's, it's just in terms of, yeah, just I, I guess responsibility is a key in that uh, sector now. I mean, it's BNPL, like you said, not a new concept. It's you know, obviously exploded in popularity over recent years for sure. Um, Recently, I was I, I remember trying to buy something over Christmas and I was trying to check out and saw about eight different options for the BMPL. So I think it's uh, definitely, you know, reaching uh, that kind of like extreme popularity level. And I think we do regulation this year as well. I think the Treasury yeah. is due to publish proposals this year. I mean, the consultation, I think, has just finished at the start of this year as well. So there is incoming regulation um, for the sector. Um, but yeah, I guess it's just a case of, like you say, just making sure that there's responsibility there. But um, I mean, how in, in terms of like the, the cost of living crisis, I mean, we've already mentioned it in the intro, but how would you do you see BNPL being help in this kind of area as well? Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting question. I mean, I think on the couple of points you just made on the FCA's consultation and, and um, regulation around BNPL, obviously, I, I welcome it. I, I spent many, many years in credit cards. I understand the industry very well, and I am a supporter of a range of lending products. I think I can see BNPL increasing significantly, even further than it is now. My sort of position on this is, I think, you know, we just need to be careful what categories it goes into. So when it comes down to sort of individual items uh, in your grocery basket, I think it can be a little bit dangerous for consumers. They can very quickly get out of control with and find themselves, you know, all of a sudden with a thousand pounds 
you know, credit line across a range of different providers. And that, that could be quite dangerous for them. I think that the thing that I would really welcome, and by the way, obviously, some buy now, pay later providers already do this, and I'm sure the FCA will continue to encourage this, is to really properly assess affordability, because we need to all lend responsibly. And interestingly, I think this is where actually open banking can really help, because through the use of open banking and looking at open banking data, over and above bureau data to assess people's credit worthiness, the open banking data shows all your individual transactions. You can actually really quickly work out whether the, the customer can actually afford it and whether you are doing your part to treat customers fairly and, uh, and then responsibly. Right. So the second topic of the day, we've got JP Morgan Chase has gone out and announced that they are going to spend $12 billion on tech over 2022. So this, to me, is a huge number. Obviously aware that JP Morgan is a huge firm and that uh, the numbers that they are spending on various um, technologies and, and all the rest of it is going to be larger than your average firm. But I mean, still, this is this is massive. This seems to me, you know, almost lighting the touch paper almost in terms of showing that the banking industry is not going to be slowing down anytime soon when it comes to, to digitization. We've obviously seen a huge amount of it in recent years, and for sure, um, the pandemic driving a lot of um, transformation there. Um, really feels to me like um, the incumbent banks are now kind of realizing the challenge of fintech and, and trying to do more to stay on top of the game, I guess, when it comes to the innovation race, when it comes to maintaining their market share and seeing fintechs, you know, offering kind of targeting niche markets with their banking offerings as well. You know, we've, we've had a couple recently in terms of targeting newlyweds, targeting musicians. And so really kind of like trying to target these niche segments and then dragging those people to, towards their products. And incumbent banks, I guess, now are having to try and do more to, you know, really show that they're kind of like looking after their customers, to show that they've got um, improving the customer experience and making their kind of banking experience a, a better one. Um, so... For me, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess this is just, you know, really show the need to, to keep up with innovation and just how much that these banks are now willing to kind of like push ahead with this. What's your take on this one, John? Yeah, this is a really interesting one. I spent part of my career in in a competitor of JP Morgan's uh, huge financial service organization like JP. M- my question would be, how much of that 12 billion is actually going to be spent on innovation? And let me explain that a little bit. I mean, I think there are a number of challenges for larger institutions, as we know, but I bet you that a large proportion of that spend on technology is, of course, focused on compliance, tech debt. There's a lot of legacy in these large organizations that really need significant modernization to keep them in some respects, going, a lot of it will be spent and related to the second point around cost reduction. And clearly the use of technology can help with that, be that the total cost of ownership of a particular technology or actually uh, trying to drive more and more innovation. The other large chunk I'm sure they're spending on is kind of keeping the existing business going and optimizing it. So optimization versus innovation. And I'd love to know how much of that is actually will end up on proper, true, new innovation. Because it's hard. It's hard. It's not even just about the budget. It's also culturally, it's really hard in a huge organization like that to spin up real innovation 
I've been lucky enough in my career to work in larger or medium-sized organizations, and we've built businesses within it. But we've always thought very carefully, of course, around the technology that we're using and building something new, uh, but also how we organizationally structure ourselves to act more entrepreneurially and act more like a startup within a, a larger organization, basically by segregating the activity into a particular unit that has full autonomy to build, make all the right decisions and not be sort of slowed down by what is an inevitable sort of layers of management and, and governance and control that these large organizations have to go through. So that's sort of my, my sort of first perspective on it. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think, um, you know, I mean, again, I've mentioned obviously with JP Morgan being so big, how, how far is that 12 billion going to spread across different teams into different um, R&D initiatives, you know, as opposed to just spending 12 billion on the technology and, and really kind of like driving that forward. So yeah, I can see, I can definitely see a point there. I mean, would you think this is also potentially signaling more mergers and acquisitions that we might see this year as well? Because I mean, obviously, there's, you know, with, with the amount of kind of like innovation that goes along, um, sometimes, you know, I mean, even though you feel that need to keep pace with the innovation, is it even possible with the speed of innovation at the moment to, to keep on top of things? You know, you invest in one thing and suddenly it's out of date the next year. Do, do we think that there'll be more kind of mergers and acquisitions in, in banking this year? I think so. I mean, we saw quite a lot last year and I think we'll see more more this year. I think you find some of the more innovative, larger financial services and established financial services institutions who realize that actually the old school, let's try and do it all ourselves and build it all ourselves, is not really going to work. And actually through building sort of an ecosystem of partnerships, which therefore many times turn into actually acquisitions, I can, I can see that. And I think it's not just about the fact that you can you know, maybe acquire a fintech that's doing something quite neat and innovative, but it's also acquiring the capability, you say technically, but also the people capability, the ways of working, which are really, really hard culturally to shift a huge organization like that to build. And when you're in a startup, you're able to think about the cultural side of things. You can have a real purpose to what you're doing like we do at Snoop, which our purpose is to make everyone better off and set your stall out in how you're going to actually organize yourself and develop and do it fast and quick with agility and flexibility. And I think that is also very valuable to larger institutions. And therefore, I agree with you. I think we will see more of that this year and next year and probably even the year after. <laughs> Might never stop. Part two of the podcast, this is our more interview style section where we focus the discussion into a specific industry or sector. We're going to dive into the main topic in just a moment, but first I should say congratulations, John, for Snoop's recent win at the annual Banking Tech Awards late last year. You scooped the best open banking solution gong. Um, so to start with, can you tell us a little bit more about Snoop and yourself? Firstly, thank you for everyone who selected us for that award team were delighted, uh, especially as we haven't been around that long and some of the competition in that category was really intense. All great companies, so thank you. You know, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank all the people that have supported us 
on this journey. It's been absolutely amazing. And and also, of course, our, our, our many customers that we have now and the great feedback they give us. And look, Snoop basically uh, was founded by a group of us that left Virgin Money at the end of 2018. We sold that business to Clydesdale Bank, and now it's obviously been renamed Virgin Money. But it gave us an opportunity to set up something new, basically. And of course, we were just finishing, we were working on a, some of us were working on a project to build uh, a greenfield digital bank, which we got to beta stage. But then we, we, as we took a step back and left, we thought, shall we set up a new digital bank now? Or actually, you know, open banking was sort of an emerging technology and thought, you know what, there is a really great opportunity with the use of open banking to build something new that could be a game changer in, in the market and more importantly, sort of help lots of people. And actually, it's it been a very relevant proposition from what our customers tell us in these times. So basically in March 2019, we all sat around my kitchen table and started to think about what, what mission were we trying to solve? And basically our, our mission really is summarizing the purpose of to make everyone better off, right? And by everyone, we do mean everyone. And, you know, as a business, we are based in London and Norwich. We're now a fairly sizable team. And, you know, we launched our alpha at the end of that first year, went into beta and now we've been downloading more than 500,000 times and are growing really, really significantly. We actually launched in, uh, we actually launched earlier than, than we'd anticipated, all working from home. I've never launched a business all remote from our sort of kitchen tables and home offices or bedrooms or sitting rooms. So that was an experience that, <laughs> that was quite an experience, but I feel comfortable. We obviously got through it well. And it's essentially what Snoop does is, it allows a customer to aggregate all their bank accounts in one place and allowing them to obviously see all their money in one place across different banking relationships, but in one unique banking experience. And then we, we provide the customer with a range of highly personalized actions and recommendations that will help them essentially save money. And they're wide ranging from general content to help them on things that we can see from their data that are relevant to them, to finding uh, particular discount codes, voucher codes, but also the ability to actually manage all your bills in one place and take action to find better deals. So essentially it's a money-saving platform. It has money management capability in it. And we've had overwhelming sort of amazing feedback from consumers. But I think partly because proposition is really relevant for these times. Yeah. And, and you mentioned there about your launch during the, the pandemic as well and, and working from home, the challenges that brought. You, you obviously brought Snoop's launch forward, given the circumstances around the pandemic. Now we're in the middle, uh, yeah, as mentioned previously, cost of living crisis in the UK. What is it the Snoop and, and other money management apps can, can do to help in these situations? Uh, yeah, we did launch early. I mean, it was quite interesting, actually, because many of our customers who were on our beta, and we had way more customers on our beta than we anticipated, sort of um, gave us some feedback, which is like, when are you actually going to launch? Because this is really relevant. I I've already had a huge amount of value by using Snoop every day, every week, every month. Why don't you just launch? Um, so we kind of gave ourselves a sort of two to four week window to actually accelerate a number of things that we wanted to do. And, and, and we did launch two months early, all again from home. But I think 
Where Snoop really is helping people at the moment, and it's, I mean, you know, you don't need to read the news to know that we have a cost of living crisis. We're actually all feeling it, and it's not just low-income people. It, it, it's across a range of different demographics and, and affluent yeah. levels. Essentially, Snoop is a proactive product, really, and it, it does some really, really simple things, although it's quite complicated technology that sort of helps you understand what bills are upcoming, what bills you paid. You know, every Sunday we send all our customers, these are things that are coming out of your accounts next week and a whole range of things around your money. So we talk to you about what's happening in your sort of you know spending that no other bank really does that proactively. But secondly, we offer a range of services where you can find better deals through us. And that is saving people a, a lot of money. A customer wrote into us a few months ago. In fact, she was actually in the end featured in one of the large newspapers as a as a use case for so it's, uh, was a single mother who got herself into quite a lot of debt. And once she started using Snoop, she was actually able to understand where she was spending and made a range of changes based on our recommendations that got her basically over time on her path to get out of that. And in fact, she actually paid off £17,000 in 12 months. And, you know, we helped, her, we helped her do that. But also, I was talking to somebody else the other day who is actually very affluent individual and investment works in the, the investment industry. So not somebody you'd expect to say what I'm about to say. And he said, you know, gosh, with this energy crisis, my bills on energy have gone off really, really significantly. Um, so I downloaded Snoop and I found myself a great deal on broadband and changed my mobile phone provider. And that's a way in which actually I was able to mitigate some of that significant increase in, in energy. So we find, and we can see that from our demographic, it is very broad across the country. It is not just young people, it's all types of ages. And I'm really happy that we're helping people from all walks of life. Yeah, no, that sounds great. I mean, some really positive feedback in there as well. So that's, um, yeah, really sounds sounds good. So I, I guess, obviously, open banking is playing uh, quite a key part in what you're doing as well. So where does Snoop sit within the, the open banking ecosystem? Yeah, I mean, basically, we are a, a significant user of open banking. We are a direct-to-consumer proposition. Many are obviously in the open banking uh, ecosystem, building business-to-business propositions, our focus, as I said before, is really for consumers. And if you think about the number of people using online or in particular now in post-pandemic mobile banking, you know, we connect 50 different banks and also people have multiple accounts across different banking providers. So bringing them all in one place is really, really helpful for them. I genuinely believe, and we can see it with the growth of open banking, even in the last sort of 12 months. It is a game changer and a new way of doing things that I'm really hopeful can drive a significant amount of innovation that will help uh, consumers and businesses alike. That's no, great. I mean, there's definitely a lot of, uh, of innovation going on within the open banking sector at the moment. So, I mean, what would you say are the most important trends in, in open banking? I think there's a few, right? I think um, just one that I picked up right, right at the beginning, which was around how can open banking data help consumers and lenders understand what customers can actually afford in terms of debt. I think that is something that I would expect to see a use for open banking more and more over time. And bureau data is great, has been used, it's well understood, but it's it only gives you one side of the customer's 
picture. Um, open banking is current and tells you lots of other things and I think can really be helpful in, in lending responsibly. Payments is obviously a significant other one. Some great startups that are focusing on sort of bank-to-bank payments using open banking. And then as we've seen, things within that context of, you know, variable recurring payments and um, more specifically and technically, you know, the scrapping of this 90-day reauthentication process, I think we'll, we will see that these things all together increasing the uh, adoption of open banking um, and we can see that in the UK. UK is leading the way in many respects through through actually structurally how it's done, be it the regulator who, who supports it, OBIE that has a central sort of focus to drive it forward. But we can see, obviously, we can see that in Europe and other geographies. And, you know, even Joe Biden has sort of an executive order to, to try and get open banking in the US. So lots more to come. Very exciting area. And I think a lot of innovation, some that we don't even know about now, will emerge out of it. Yeah, for sure. Definitely, definitely exciting times on the open banking front. So switching back then to, to the money management side, the market for, for money management apps quite saturated at the moment. Um, you've, you've mentioned the need for it. So, so how are you looking to, to stand out from the crowd? With that? Yeah, I think for, for me, it's less about a money management PFM app. We provide those services and the Customers want them and we'll do a bit more in that space, of course. For me, I think it's not just looking at your money. It is actually helping people with hyper-personalized recommendations and content. And that's really what differentiates it. In some respects, I sort of see it more like a modern-day money-saving expert, but with integrating into your banking data and using it on behalf of the customer to basically help them manage manage and, and save money across a range of different categories excellent sounds good and you so you left virgin money to, to set up snoop so based on your experience whilst we have you here what advice do you have for, for the founders who are looking to scale up their ventures right now <laughs> um the first thing i think is i think if anybody's thinking about building a new company and obviously founding it or being a co-founder with somebody else i would do it it's a great experience. I've never learned as much as I have over the last couple of years in Snoop. I've definitely learned more over the last couple of years than I did in the prior 22 years. Uh, and I, I've been really lucky. I've worked on some really, really interesting things in the past and building all sorts of different businesses, yes, in the context of a sort of corporate, more corporate environment. I think more specifically to your question, as a founder, I think you must obviously be yourself, be very clear on what your purpose is, rally the team around that purpose, hire people who really believe in the purpose of what you're trying to do. Because then I guess, you know, everyone's joined at that overall mission for us is to make everyone better off. And then I think, obvious point, but you know, you need to sort of know what your strengths and weaknesses are, right? And hire people around you that can help complement all of that. And also empower people. I think there is a behavioral aspect that if you set up a company and are a total control freak, you will find yourself getting stuck a lot and it will, you know, you could potentially combust, right? So you need to be able to empower people, trust people, be over the things that you really want to do. Um, so people is a really big thing. 
and your your sort of attitude and the way you you as an individual operate, especially as you start to scale, you can't be all over everything and you need to sort of evolve as that does. And sometimes I've got it right, sometimes I've got it really wrong, and I've had to course my, correct myself. Sometimes I've got feedback, sometimes, you know, and so on and so forth. So I think it's, that's where I mean, the right team that's, that's around you is obviously really, really helpful, and the right environment as well. And then there are sort of really practical things, right? So, you know, be really clear on your KPIs. They will, of course, change, or there'll be more that you need to look for. Know the ones that matter, focus on them, but also course correct as you start to scale. Another one for me, especially coming from a more traditional environment, is really listening to your customers. This is absolutely obvious, right? But we do things like, it's not just me listening to customers or the people building new new features within the stream. It's the whole business. So we, for example, broadcast all our app reviews, all customer feedback that we get, through our Slack channels and the whole company sees them, right? And that's really important because, in fact, we had a situation last week where one of the pieces of feedback was broadcast, read by a, um, a developer of a component part of it, and it sort of really made him think, here is a solution, we can solve it immediately, right? And, but it also keeps everyone close to the feedback. And sometimes it's, it's amazing, sometimes it's not so amazing, and it allows us to keep really, really close to that. And then the obvious things, you know, build technology from the beginning that can scale. If not, you'd be constantly trying to invest new money into things that you probably should have got maybe right at at the beginning. Really focus on your purpose, your brand, your marketing strategy, who you're going to be going after, hire the right people, especially the the point here is obviously clearly hire the right people, but it's try and hire people who can be with you longer term in the journey as the company grows. Um, because if not, you'll find yourself having to sort of replace people as you get to different stages of growth. And the, the final one for us that we focus on, clearly business model, but also diversifying that business model. So you can weather certain certain challenges in a particular revenue line and complement it with something else. I think that's really important. And the final thing is, again, an obvious thing as a founder is remember that there's lots of stakeholders that you will have to interact with. You know, clearly those that invest in you will you will need to interact with them. You will need to fundraise. You will need to do a lot of things that feel external to core product development. I think that's part of you know any co-founding team to be able to to deal with that basically. Here we are in part three of the podcast. That's everybody's favorite section. It's the fintech jail sections. This is where we ask for an industry term, buzzword, or trends that our guest has seen or heard enough of and just wants to essentially do away with. Um, and we will then debate whether it deserves a place in the jail or if it's already in there, an extended sentence, no matter how close to its metaphorical parole hearing it may be. Um, so, John, what buzzword or trendy topic do you wish to be banished for today? I have loads. But the one I've chosen for today is playbook. Right. The concept of let's follow the playbook, let's build the playbook. For me, uh, in corporate worlds, you know, here's the process by which we'll continue to do it over and over and over again, and, and that's how we will do things. There's lots of things that I find irritating about it. One is we're not playing here, it's not a game, but also it just makes this assumption that what you've done in the past is 
the right way thing to do today or tomorrow or in the future. And I think that is one thing that really cripples innovation. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it feels to me like one of those um, business words, like almost like synergy that doesn't really have yeah. um, in, enough of <laughs> um, kind of like context behind it to, to be useful to anybody. But uh, yeah, completely understand um, in terms of, you know, I mean, that there might be American football coaches around tearing their hair out at the, at the kind of like the way it's being used um, today. But like you say, if it's suggesting um, a way of doing things, that might be, like you say, negative to innovation. So I, I can understand in that sense. Yeah, I mean, it kind of lacks enough meaning, I guess, for me in terms of that that financial sense, um, in terms of what we're looking at, and can just be one of these, uh, I guess, C-suite waffle kind of things that uh, doesn't really kind of like help anyone or get anything anywhere. So it's not currently in our fintech jail, so you are the first one to to suggest this this one for us. I personally would be quite happy to to place it in there for this episode. Uh, I mean, is there anything else you want to kind of like tag onto that? Is is there I'm happy you're putting it in it. I mean, you know, j- just on a side, I was lucky enough to listen to Arsene Wenger talk about his success. Um, I'm not a massive uh, sports fan myself, but it, it was really, really interesting. And he kind of pretty much said the whole point of his success and the team's success was really about driving innovation across a whole range of things and not assuming that what was done in the past is the right way forward. So I'm really happy that it's gone into jail. Well, that's all we have time for for this episode. Uh, thanks so much to John for joining me and, of course, to Snoop for sponsoring this podcast. As for Fintech Futures, you can find us online at www.fintechfutures.com and on Twitter and LinkedIn by just searching for Fintech Futures and, and looking out for our new and improved gorgeous logo. If you like this podcast and other episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud or your favourite podcasting service. As always, thank you very much for your support and we'll see you soon for another episode of What the Fintech. But until then, goodbye.